0: Blog Talk Radio.
2: evening, everybody. Welcome back to the Cubby's Crib Podcast, Climbing the Ivy on the fan side of network. This is your host, Alex Pat, and I will soon be joined by my co-host, Adam McGinnis. He should be on very shortly. We have a really big show for you tonight. In fact, it's going to be an hour-long special. A lot has happened the past week. The good, the bad, the ugly. The title says it all. We got Manny Machado rumors. We have Chris Bryant hitting his 100th home run in the big leagues. Uh, sparking some really weird controversy on Twitter. We'll get to to that in a minute. And then, of course, we want to uh, talk about Carrie Wood's 20 strikeout game. And that was celebrated just a few days ago this past weekend. It was the 20th anniversary of the 20 strikeout game by then 20-year-old Carrie Wood. We would love to hear you who were there, who experienced it. The call numbers are 646-564-9872. That's 646 564 9872. We'd love to hear from you. So, why don't we kind of start off with the bad? We kind of want to get the bad out of the way because there's a lot of good we want to talk about. I think you all know what we're going to be talking about when it comes to the bad. It's going to be that St. Louis Cardinals series, three game sweep, very painful. It ended in quite painful fashion. It all ended with former Cub Dexter Fowler in the 14th inning, hitting a walk-off two-run home run. The Cardinals would win 4-3. to three. The Cubs had just grabbed the lead the inning before. Long, grueling game. Really tough. And it was just after the Cubs lost a gut-wrenching game in extra innings. Colton Wong with the walk-off home run in the 10th. The Cubs were up 6-4 to four in the 9th inning. Morrow blew his first save. That was also a very tough one to swallow the day before. Jose Quintana fell victim to a long ball, a three-run home run, which was unearned because errors did him in, which, I mean, he gave up the three-run home run, but he would have been out of the inning if a few plays were made in the field. Cubs really didn't do much offensively. They scored two runs in the ninth just to fall short three to two. So it was rough. Okay, looks like Adam is here. We're just about to talk about this series where it ranks in some of the most terrible Cubs series under the Joe Madden era. But first, let's say hi to Adam. Hi, Adam. How are you tonight? Hello there. I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. So, Adam, I was just talking about the Cardinals series, giving a quick recap. Dexter Fowler, the walk-off to finish the sweep. Really gut-wrenching, awful series. To the point where a lot of people, including myself, are asking ourselves, Was this the worst series in the Joe Madden era? And by that, I mean regular season. I'm not going to count postseason. So if you want to mention the NLCS in 2015 or last year, it doesn't really count. I ran a Twitter poll. Before I read those results, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that. Did you think that that was the worst series in the Joe Madden era for the Cubs? Uh, If it's not the worst, it's certainly right up there, probably in the top five.
1: And yeah, you know, even if we were including the postseason, I don't think I would include uh, the 2015 NLCS as the worst. Because in 2015, for the Cubs to even get to the NLCS exceeded everyone's expe- expectations by a lot. So I, I really can't be too mad that they were disappointing in that series. But um, was it last year or the year before where the Cubs played the Phillies and they were no hit and swept? in that series that one was pretty that bad was
2: 2015
1: oh that was 2015 as well I, I'm gonna say yes then because it's it's the Cardinals so it makes it that much
2: worse it stings way more oh I completely agree the fact that it was your biggest rivals division series as in it was against the division opponent not an NLDS obviously that all made it really bad and they were very winnable games and when you think about worst series, you think about it in two different contexts. You think, okay, was it worse as in they got blown out so badly each time? Or was it just that the losses were gut wrenching? And that was the losses were gut wrenching because if you ask me, those kind of losses are tougher to swallow than just getting your brains beat in. If the Cardinals beat the Cubs like 15 to nothing, it's like, well, you played awful but it's not like you were on the verge of victory and then it just got stolen away. In my opinion, that feels worse. Oh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's yeah, it is the worst, losing to the
1: Cardinals like that, because you, you have the rest of the season where you're not going to live that down, and it's always going to come up. Like, say the Cubs take two out of three from the Cardinals the next time they play them. Well, Cardinals fans are just going to bring up the fact that they swept the Cubs last time, and it was pretty embarrassing. I actually, I fell asleep two times during one of the games. Um, and I woke up right as Javi Baez hit the go-ahead home run.
2: Same. And that oh, my cool.
1: God. And then and then I fell asleep again, and I woke up right as Dexter Fowler hit the walk-off home run. So
2: it, it was awful. That was not a good night's sleep. No, I had trouble sleeping that night as well. And I'll be honest with you, I just, when that happened, I took my fist and slammed it 15 or 20 times against my pillow. I'm just like, are you oh, yeah. kidding me? Oh god, so frustrating! He had to be Dexter Fowler too.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's hitting like a buck fifty right now, which makes it that much worse that he's not hitting anything. But as soon as he plays his former team that he helped win the World Series with, he, oh man,
2: that hurts. Definitely. So that poll I was telling you about ran it on Twitter, asked if that was the worst series under the Joe Madden era. We got 104 votes on that poll. 24% said yes, no question. 63% said bad, but not the worst. And 13% said it didn't bother me. Really? That's kind of interesting, those results. Yeah, I thought that there would be a few more votes for yes, just considering it was the Cardinals and considering how gut-wrenching it was though it was interesting that people brought up several different series that they considered the worst somebody brought up the San Diego series last year where they were swept by a terrible Padres team and then somebody I can't remember who it was they actually made a really good point because this was a really bad series if you remember in 2016 when the Cubs got swept in a four game series against the Mets at City Field just coming off that NLCS loss that was pretty bad too
1: yeah that was in twenty sixteen yeah I do kind of vaguely remember that 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 makes me remember too that in twenty fifteen I believe the Cubs had won their regular season series with the Mets seven to zero i think they yes. i think they swept the Mets in the regular they season did. and then they went <laughs> and, that, and so that made everybody really hopeful about the n l c s series and then they laid a big egg but we're we're past that, and the Cubs came out on top in the end. So, it's it's ev's.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And at the time when that sweep uh, when that sweep happened, it was kind of fueling that narrative of oh, the Cubs are never going to get past the Mets. If you remember that, because I heard that a whole lot after that sweep. Yeah, that's, I was sure that they.
1: I mean. Obviously I had high hopes, but you know, if you were one of those people then you probably weren't doing yourself any favors, but yeah, it's uh it worked out in the end, I'd say, specifically Absolutely. In November of 2016.
2: No doubt. There were a few more series that some people brought up. They brought up the Philly series that you did. Uh there was one other one. I just I can't remember off what it is. I'd have to look at Twitter, but I know somebody brought up like a really bad sweep series and the Cubs were bad, but I was really just talking about the Joe Madden era. So that would have been from 2016 and now. Oh, I think it was the Dodgers series last year. If you remember right before they went to San Diego, they were swept by the Mm. Dodgers. That's what it was. Bad.
1: Yeah, that was bad. Well, see the thing about regular season series is once they're done, they're done. And I move on and I try to forget about it. I don't really feel the pain of it anymore. So My recency bias is saying, yes, this Cardinals series was the worst of the Joe
2: Madden era, for me anyway. And we're just going to hope that come September, October, we look back and laugh. Oh, 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 here is one more. This was actually another good one. I I forgot to mention this one as well. Last year at home, and I I was at one of these games, that Brewers sweep when they got swept by the Brewers at home. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a bad one. That was a yeah. That was okay. Yeah, you've
1: jogged my memory. That was a terrible one, and that was you know back when nobody believed the Brewers were a legitimate threat, and they they got close. But yeah, I mean, car, it's the Cardinals though. Being swept by the Cardinals is significantly worse than being swept by the lowly Brewers. I that rivalry is. Cubs-Cardinals is one of the oldest rivalries in sports. And so mm-hmm. anytime, anytime one of those teams gets swept, it's not a good deal for the fans that you're, you're going to feel it for a while. I'm still Absolutely. frustrated about this Cardinals series, to tell you the truth. I try well, my I best to just move on and forget all about it. But
2: when it's the Cardinals, it just kind of lingers. Well, to me, the feeling is if they would have taken to a three and then sweep the Marlins. Imagine the position they they would be in first place right now. Oh I mean, yeah. luckily it's only May, but still that that goes through your head.
1: Yeah, they'd be on top of the power rankings and everything, but yeah, at least they did have the Marlins as a, a punching bag after this. That was a good uh comeback they made. And I don't care that the Marlins are the worst maybe the worst team in the league. They're probably not. It's probably like the Orioles or the or the Reds. Those two are pretty uh they're having clunker seasons for sure but it doesn't matter who the team is a sweep like the Cubs outscored them like 31 to 9 or something in this three-game series something crazy like that
2: yeah uh why don't we just go right into this series because that was going to be our next topic let's just go right back into this Marlins series you know I got to agree with you I know the Marlins aren't good but they have some sneaky, good ball players and some yeah. pesky guys on that team. Yeah, well, and that's the thing
1: is when you're on kind of a losing skid like that, it doesn't matter who you're getting your wins against. You just want to start winning again. And boy, that's typical of the Cubs to have such a stagnant offense like that for so long and then just scoring all over the place 14 runs against the Marlins. Uh, I like seeing Almora back at the top of the order in that first game. I think he should be there more often than not, but that's just my opinion. And I agree. Kyle Hendricks, despite, uh, you know, giving up that, uh, what was it? Uh, did he give up a home run in that game? I don't think he did. He did not. I think it was, no. Yeah, he, he gave up an RBI single and then uh, on a fielder's choice too. So two earned runs, but eight innings pitched, which was really good for them. Uh, the bullpen had been working really hard prior to that series, the Marlins series. And so for Hendricks to go almost all
2: game and give that bullpen some relief, I think was really good for him. That was absolutely key because they needed the bullpen pretty much the entire game. In the second yeah. game, they had Sang start and place a Darvish who is on the DL with the flu. Uh, that bullpen did great. You got a great uh, two innings. From Rob Zestrisny, c looked good. Carl Edwards Jr. looked incredible. I'm He's so, so proud, proud of that guy. I know, me too. I was I was wanting so badly for him to be a
1: force on this team last year, but he just struggled with command too often in the walks. You know, like Even in the first half of the season when his ERA was really good and low – his walk rate was still super high. This year, yeah. he's got the good ERA, and he is not walking guys. And man, some of those pitches he are, he's throwing, filthy. I don't know if he. There was a, a sort of viralish gif that was going around on Twitter last night of one of his cutters at ninety five. Oh my, my God, he embarrassed that guy trying to swing at that. That pitch. was Castro, too, I think. Oh man, I crazy. think it was Castro. It, wow. It, either way, it world. was
2: ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, So it, if you, it's really good to see him realizing his potential this year. I
2: hope he keeps it up. Me too. So if you pull up his numbers on fan graphs, this is how they read. A 0.53 ERA, a fielding independent pitching of 1.04, a K per nine of 15.88. And if you look at just the rates, he's got a K rate of 45 and a half. That's nearly 50% of batters he's facing he's striking out. Uh, That's good, yeah. Give me more of that. I I like this card, Edward. I hope he stays strong. Yeah, I know. I, I hope there isn't like a lapse in the command again because when he has his command, the guy's unhittable. The movement he puts, the velocity he could put on, he really is impressive, and it was nice to see him have another outing last night. It was also nice to see Brandon Morrow come back. I think it was like a five pitch save. It was really easy. Yeah, and Morrow's been really good too. I
1: don't think he's given up what like a couple runs. Is it something like that? It was just a blown through. save
2: against the Cardinals just, on Saturday. Just, that was
1: okay. So that's it. So yeah, it's a uh, boy. The Cubs have had dynamite closers the last few years. Holy cow! You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but you know, Rondon when he was at the peak of his career was really good, and then Wade Davis and Araldis Chapman, uh, reverse order,
2: but but yeah, they've been nailing it on the closer end of things. Yeah, they really have, and that was something interesting that I talked about earlier this year. Is that you look at the closer situation for the Cubs? It's pretty much been different every year. And you know what?
1: It's- I, I kind of like that
2: to tell you the truth, because
1: with it's you never know with relief pitchers their shelf life you know they yeah look take Greg Holland for example he was just on fire until he wasn't and then he you know i wasn't surprised that it took him so long to find a deal because if you look at his second half numbers from 2017 he was awful and that just kind of happened overnight it seemed like so i kind of like this uh closer by trial thing that the cubs are doing just getting whoever's Available and on top at the moment. I think it's a good strategy. It's No, when risky, you think of the say.
2: all-time closers, it's just a very small amount that have long careers like they do. A Craig Kimbrell, yeah. a Mariano Rivera, a, a Lee Smith, a Trevor Hoffman. That's a very small percentage of all closers in baseball that have careers like that.
1: Yeah, if you're banking on, you know, if you sign a guy to a long contract hoping to get someone like that, you're playing with fire. That's a huge risk. So I think the Cubs are are playing it smart by uh, going onto the uh, free agent market and trading, you know. That's another thing I kind of just wanted to touch on is uh trading Jorge Soler for Wade Davis. I don't regret it. I think it was absolutely the right move to make at the time, but I have mixed feelings about Jorge Soler now, because I loved that guy when he was in Chicago, as frustrating as he could be. I loved watching him. I loved his potential. And so I'm really happy to see that he's playing awesome for the Royals right now, but it also kind of
2: stings because I wish he was still on the Cubs. You know, this is how I look at the situation. The key for Jorge Soler to develop was a place he could play every day.
0: Yeah, this you're right. was
2: not the place where he could play every day. There just wasn't enough room for him. And I agree. I loved the potential because you saw when he did hit the ball, I mean, it was like you saw the vapor trail. It was just scalded every time he hit it.
1: Oh, yeah, that guy could slog him with the best of them.
2: But, yeah, I agree with you.
1: That It's just one of those situations where, You kind of hate to see the way it unfolds, but at the same time you know that there's really not another option because yeah, he probably wasn't going to get the at-bats that he needed in Chicago. There just wasn't really a regular spot for him at that point. So, yeah, it stinks to see him doing so well on a team that isn't the Cubs, but I think it's the move that had to be made at the time. And you know what? I still don't think they should regret that move
2: one bit. No, no, no. That was absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, because think about it. This is my personal opinion, but the way the Cubs faltered with their bullpen in the second half, I don't know if they win the division without Wade Davis. I don't even think that even if they did win the division, I don't think they'd get past the Nationals without Wade Davis. He had to come up huge to win that series. Heck, even in the Dodgers series, he pretty much helped win the one game that they did. Wade Davis was their one All-Star last year, and when they traded Jorge Soler, he was a guy struggling to find his niche, and he was very injury- prone. So, yeah, the trade was made. I personally, I thought at the time, despite his potential, I thought it was kind of a steal. At the time, I really did. I
1: did too, because at a certain point, you can't hold on to guys. Banking on their potential, especially if you've got the depth that the Cubs have the luxury of having right now. At a certain point, you have to. Say, I think we're okay without this guy right now, we can't keep waiting for him to wake up. You, you got to make the moves you got to make. But maybe this is going to sound bad. I don't care if it does. I don't really miss Wade Davis, to be honest. I know he was productive and he got outs, but it was most of the time it was not a cakewalk for him. And so I had to hold my breath every time he came in to close out a game because he always made it interesting and tough, which is uh, good for a casual fan. But if you're a fan of the team, you at some point you get kind of tired of that. But So I, I do like seeing uh, Brandon Morrow just get things done. You know, I like
2: Wade Davis, but you know, I like him on the Rockies even more now. Well, I think the thing with Wade Davis is when you said that it kind of got interesting with him, I think that was really kind of the case in the second half because the first half I thought Wade was really good in the first half, but I know what you mean. The walk rate started to go up. Uh, He had to kind of labor through some batters and that's nothing really against him. It's just when you've been a pitcher for a long time and you've had injury problems, Look, I know Wade Davis is doing pretty well overall this year with the Rockies, and I really hope he does, but I think it was smart for the Cubs to just have him for the one year because if you wanted to pay him, you would have had to pay him for several years, and where he's at in his career, I think that his best days are behind him. Even though he's gotten off to a good start, I don't know how long that's going to last. He was oddly good in Kansas City in his prime, and I think last year and this year, these two years – 17-18, Seventeen, eighteen—they're kind of the tail end of his prime, and with age and the injuries, it's going to kind of start to slowly go down more. So they got him at the right time, and to your point earlier, kind of moving on to another closer. Sometimes it's what you got to do. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I said, giving
1: big money and a long-term contract to a reliever, especially a closer, is a risky thing. Yes, and if that, and especially for ones in their thirties like Wade Davis is. And I'm glad the Cubs aren't playing it that way, but you know relievers are replaceable. That's the thing. You know you can find, you can go out and you can find another good one. The starters, that's not so much the case. So you got to give them the big deals and you got to overpay a little bit. But I think you, you that's an unnecessary risk with relievers,
2: especially older ones. Yeah, I can agree with that. And looking at Jorge Soler's numbers right now, I know a lot of people are paying close attention to that. And I really hope he continues this, because no matter what, I'm a huge fan of the guy. This is what he's putting up right now. In terms of a traditional slash line, it's 324, 436, 546. It's pretty good if you want to look Uh. at the OPS. 982. Jeez. How about Jorge Soler for Jason
1: Hayward? Straight up.
2: Come on, Royals. Do it. I'm not sure they'd do that. <laughs> no, uh, I they, am not they sure would, they would. Not
1: if they were smart. But oh, uh, yeah, good for Georgie. It does kind of stink that he's on a, a bottom feeder team. God, the, mm-hmm. the rules are terrible. Hey, him and soccer. John
2: Jay. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. John Jay, Jason Hamill, I think is still
2: on the yeah, uh, rotation there, him.
1: too, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, John Jay yeah. this
2: year so far is 279, 352, 310. So pretty typical John Jay numbers. Yeah, that's that's basically, yeah. Boy. Now here's one Royals. thing. That's not the worst division in baseball by far. Oh, it's terrible. It's really terrible. Now here's one thing I wanted to point out about Soler. Uh I think somebody else pointed this out on Twitter to me. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't remember who it is. Uh, but... His babbitt is over four hundred. It's four eleven. That's oh. not a sustainable babbitt. No, I'm not saying not. he's going to suddenly suck, but that's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I just I like seeing him do well. I'm glad he is finally kind of broken out. But yeah, it is. It's too bad that he's in such a crappy. Div- there isn't a single team in that division with a winning record right now. I'm looking at the standings right now. Cleveland is in first place at 18-18, and 18, and everyone yep. else has a losing record. <laughs> and our, our little brother on the south side, the White Sox, haven't even won 10 games yet, sitting at 9-25. and 25. Poor White Sox.
2: Yeah, well, they're probably going to play us and win two out of three because it seems like the White Sox always play the Cubs incredibly well. Oh yeah,
1: that'd be totally typical for we. We'll probably get swept by the White Sox, I'm sure, and then we'll go play the the Yankees or something in interleague, and we'll sweep them because,
2: God forbid, the Cubs do anything that makes sense to us. Yeah, I, baseball just lacks logic. So many, so many instances. Yeah, I love that about it. Sometimes though, that
1: that's
2: that's part of oh, the appeal. I agree. I agree. Speaking of logic. How about some of those Gordo rumors yesterday about a certain Manny Machado? What are your thoughts on that? Do
1: it. Trade for him. I don't care what it takes. Well, I shouldn't say that, because uh I'd rather them keep Schwarber right now, the Me way too. he's playing. He's he's been one of ironically, he's been one of their best hitters to this point. Absolutely. And uh I am sort of. You know, last year at this time, I probably would have said differently, but right now, I think Baez is probably untouchable. I wouldn't deal him. I would keep Baez. Oh no, Baez. you can't. Yeah, and so and you know, obviously Chris Bryant is one of the untouchables as well. Wilson Contreras too. Um, they can have Addison Russell as for all I care. Um, I don't think the Cubs are that much worse off without Russell right now, even if they didn't have Machado. I, Russell is kind of dead weight at the plate for this team. They know he's been hitting a little better lately, but I've pretty much just come to accept that Russell is a 230 hitter, and I don't really see him being much better than a 240 hitter. So, you know, if the Orioles see potential in him, he's still really young, he's got a good contract, team friendly. Uh, Package Addison Russell. People have been proposing this a lot. It seems pretty popular. Package Addison Russell, Mike Montgomery, and give them whatever minor leaguers they want. And hell yeah, I'd trade for Machado to do that
2: in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would do that too. My only thing is, I think the Orioles are going to want more than that. Well, yeah, see and that's the
1: thing is the Cubs farm system is not really in a good place right now, which isn't it's a knock on the place. Cubs.
3: Let's, let's let's be not real. In a,
1: yeah, yeah, you're right. It's not I won't pull any punches in here. It's it's not good right now. But that isn't a knock on the Cubs brass. You know, this was part of the plan. They they are where they are because they utilize the farm system the right way and so now it's time to kind of restock it a little bit. But it just all depends on what the Orioles wanna do. If they are looking at doing one of the long term rebuilding schemes, then yeah, the Cubs probably aren't an ideal fit because they can't give the Orioles what they want. But if they're looking to be competitive again within the next two or three years, then the Cubs do have some intriguing young talent in the big leagues already that could they could maybe dangle. You know, I hate to say it, but I wouldn't mind, you know, the
2: idea of giving up hap. Yeah, I think that's one that a lot of people have been talking about as well. Ian Happ being that third person. If you were to go the Montgomery-Russell route. um, Again, though, I don't know what the Orioles want, but you know what? It doesn't hurt at all for Theo Epstein to kick some tires on it. You won't know the actual value that they see unless you start kicking the tires. You know what the situation is. They're going to want some of our big league guys because, like we said, the farm system is pretty barren. You don't have a Glaber Torres or Eloy Jimenez, the dangle for Manny Machado. I mean, heck, the Orioles could ask for something ridiculous. So we won't know until yeah. really we hear about that, but, you know, it's good to think about. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It can't hurt to at least inquire and give it a try, but. You you have to keep in mind the fact that Machado would be a rental, and so they're not going to be able to get as much as they would have. I think they should have traded Manny Machado last year, because if they thought they were going places last year, then they were only kidding themselves. Uh, They could have gotten a lot more for him. I know he's the the face of their franchise, and I get that it's not an easy decision to just pull the plug on that, but the fact of the matter is he's not coming back. The Orioles are notorious underspenders in free agency they are not going to get even close to matching the top bidder for Machado in free agency so I think they probably made a mistake in not getting as much as they could have for him but you know it, look at JD Martinez I think that uh who uh who did he come from when he went to the he went from the Tigers didn't he Tigers
2: yeah
1: the Tigers got a decent haul didn't they
2: it was it was all right. It wasn't anything mind-blowing, but... Okay, see, uh, well, there you go. The Cubs can't do mind-blowing, but they probably could do really good. Here's the other question, though. Are there other teams in on Machado, and are other teams that are in on Machado, what are their resources like? Do they have well, yeah, something that, more appealing? That is That is kind of, you, know, you think about that. Are there
1: teams desperate enough for offense that think they're going to make some kind of playoff push that they'd be willing to give up a whole bunch of their top prospects? I don't Dodgers, know.
2: Dodgers?
1: For just hit a hit. half of a season. Well, see, here's the thing about the Dodgers. The Dodgers are adamant of staying
2: below the threshold. And I don't think they can do that if they get Machado. Well, I mean, even if they were just looking for a rental this year, I- I'm not talking about signing in the future I'm just talking about this year with all these injuries yeah I we'll see you know
1: to tell you the truth the Dodgers might just be out of it by you know a few weeks from now they are just going downhill fast Kershaw's on the DL I know he's not going to be on for very long hopefully but and they've got Corey Seager out, and Justin Turner is still out, and they're they're not playing well at all right now. You know, unless they get on their horse and start winning some ball games, they're going to find themselves in a pretty deep hole that I don't know that they can dig themselves out of. So maybe they won't even be in a position to kick the tires on Machado.
2: Yeah, I mean that's kind of a hypothetical scenario. What I could see, even though things are going pretty badly for them. I could see them hitting kind of a decent stretch where they're not in first place, but they're right in the race. And to me, the Dodgers seem like a team that would just go for it. I don't see them really doing any selling or standing pat. I think if they are in a race and that there is some chance for them to make the postseason, that they would make a move for it. Because Justin Turner is going to come back. Clayton Kershaw is going to come back. So I just don't see them really standing pat. I think that if they see an opportunity and that they really want to get things together this year, that they could potentially do that. But we'll see. Good. I, I hope they do it. I hope they mortgage
1: their future for absolutely nothing. I could see the Houston Astros doing something because despite having just won the World Series, their farm system
2: is surprisingly still in pretty good shape. So I think they could actually pull that off. You know who else I think could do something? Not necessarily Machado, but if we're talking about acquiring some offense, I think the Cleveland Indians need to do something. I don't think – I mean, that team's good, but this year, it just doesn't seem like a World Series team to me. Maybe they're just off to a slow start again, but I feel like they need something. Yeah, I
1: think you're right. Uh, you know, They're fortunate to be in such a horrible division. I think that even right. if they win just 85 games, they're probably going to win that division. But then after that, that's when things get a lot harder, and they're going to need that extra, in the words of uh, Nigel Tufnell from Spinal Tap, that extra push over the cliff. They'll turn it up to 11. And so,
2: yeah, maybe Machado is the route to go for the Indians. You think about the Indians this year, and you think about them in 2016 and 2017. In those two years, you said, this team could probably beat anybody. This year, you're looking at Cleveland and saying, eh, once you get to the postseason, can you really see them getting past the Astros, the Yankees, or the Red Sox? Because right now, I really don't see it.
1: Well, yeah, and their rotation isn't really the dominant force that it was a few short years ago, even just a couple years ago. Corey Kluber is still an ace and Trevor Bauer is having a good season, but Carrasco and Salazar haven't really turned into the, the all-star caliber perennial pitchers that people thought they would be.
2: Yeah. So that's why I think they need to do something. Yeah, we'll see.
1: I mean, you know, with them, they've got the the uh, luxury of, of waiting all the way till July because they're I mean, they're going to win that division. Even if they just play mediocre the rest of the year, they're going to win that division because everyone in there is just terrible. They should be ashamed of themselves.
2: Well, you know, you look at the White Sox and their record. I think they're only like eight games out despite their record. That's how bad the division is. Oh, yeah. The Twins are in second place at 15 and 17. (laughs) And their pitching has been really bad. What a
1: bunch of losers. Oh, my God. Those teams are terrible.
2: Wow.
1: and That's an And the thing name. is,
2: is that a lot of those teams are going to be bad for a while. The Tigers have a long rebuild ahead of them. Yeah. The yeah. Kansas City Royals have a long rebuild ahead of them. The White Sox are going to be good soon. They're going to be good soon, but you, know, you look at the other teams, I, I, they're going to be bad for a while. Yeah.
1: And uh, I'm disappointed by Minnesota because they were kind of my sleeper team this year. I was really high on the Twins in the preseason. I thought they were, I thought they had a chance to win that division. And looking at them, I know it's early, but looking at them right now, man, I don't know if that's gonna happen. I don't, I don't even know if they're gonna make a wild card this year.
2: No, I think that pitching staff is just too weak.
1: Yeah. I mean- they did their best to upgrade it. They got Lance Lynn and Jake Odorizzi, but you know those guys aren't world beaters, but they're, they're decent. But, you know, they, Maybe they'll get hot later. Who knows? They could. They could, yeah. It's it's early. We'll see. For, for but yeah, sure. Trade, the Cubs should trade. I brought this up on Twitter, and some people loved the idea, and some people thought I was probably drinking straight paint. So trade for Machado now. Let him uh, help the Cubs... Sometimes stagnant offense until October, November. Let him walk in free agency. Sign Bryce Harper. Boom. We've had Machado and Harper in the span of two years.
2: You know, that would be pretty cool. I'm not sure how realistic both of that is. Just, again, depending on what you want. But, hey, that would be cool. Yeah, uh, you can dream, you know. Well, just take a minute and think about an infield with Bryant Machado, Baez, and Rizzo, and then Contreras behind the plate. Yeah, that's nasty. And I
1: don't know that Machado is anything overly special as a defender. I think Addison Russell is probably a better defensive outfielder than – or infielder, I'm sorry, than Machado. I don't know. I've seen Manny Machado make some incredible plays. If you're going to bat 300 and hit 35, 40 home runs, then I don't care. If you're a little worse at defense, that makes no difference to me. If you're going to be a force like that, in line, you know Manny is yeah, a two-time Gold Glove winner defense. and
2: a Platinum Glove winner, right? Oh, is he? He's a Platinum <laughs> Glove winner. He's one of the best fielders there is. Yeah. Talk to me when he's talk to me when he's won
1: two Platinum Gloves, okay?
2: <sighs> you are a piece of work. <sighs> oh boy but yeah i mean it's it's an interesting idea. I think a lot of people have been talking about it since the off season. It kind of died out, and then it's been you know it's been hyped up again, so only time will tell right? yeah, I mean, you know if they don't get Machado, I don't care. I mean,
1: to be honest with you, the cubs I don't think are even close to being front runners to get him. It's just you know. Every year these things come up and fans get overly excited and they get their hopes up that their team is going to make a huge deal like that. And in the Cubs case, I think Machado would help their offense a lot. But, you know, to be realistic, I I don't see it happening. I I I I would encourage them to try.
2: Yeah. Looks like we got a caller. All right. first one from a 308. Hello, 308. You were on the air.
0: Hey, guys. It's been great listening to you tonight. Good show. Thanks for tuning in. I was going to tell you, if you want to know what the Cubs are going to get from Machado, you really just need to start watching Twitter because I think it's going to start trending really soon. You're going to see it. You can bank it. I'm going to tell you right now what it's going to be. Bodie for Machado straight up.
2: <laughs> oh, man. That <laughs> is man, so
0: stupid
1: like that. <laughs> <laughs> Those and are always like, the uh, deals you find <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, well, Alex and I write for Cubby's Crib, and it was last year at some point, somebody commented on one of the articles uh, suggesting a package centered around Hector Rondon for Max Scherzer. Uh, that's, that's, that's where some of these minds are at.
0: Well, I will, uh, I will tell you this. If the Cubs can get Machado for something other than a rental – which if they can negotiate something prematurely with him before a trade, I think it would be easy for the Cubs to trade for Machado and give up Russell. They could give up Montgomery along with it. They could give up Ian Happ because the only reason they really need Ian Happ is they like the potential. They like the home run potential. If they're going to trade for a guy that's already got that kind of home run power, they don't really need Ian Happ anymore. And, you know, if you want to package something together like that, they could even throw in another one of the relievers if they wanted to. Um, there's a lot of options that the Cubs have. They really don't have, I don't think, enough left in the farm system to make a good trade that the Orioles would go for. They're going to have to give up uh, some guys that are already up at the bigs. You know, if, if it's somebody like a Caratini, <clears throat> but the Cubs could solve a lot of issues um, if they could get Machado for something more than just a rental, and they could give up they could give up some of the some of the guys that are with the big league club now. As much as that might hurt, uh, you're going to be getting a 300 hitter that's going to hit 40 homers and an infield that's going to just look absolutely unbeatable.
2: Yeah, you know, that would be such an amazing scenario. If you knew that you were going to get Manny Machado and then sign him to a long-term deal, I definitely think it would be very well worth Hap, Russell, Montgomery, and another minor leaguer. That would be a dream scenario for me. The only thing is, is I truly believe Machado is going to test the market in the off season because he's going to want to see what people are going to offer him, whether it's the Cubs and the Yankees and the Dodgers. I truly feel like he in his best benefit would test the market, but if that scenario did play out, then I would definitely agree that would be totally worth it. Yeah. Even I, if I agree. Rental, I'm I know. A,
0: yeah. Machado's kind of on record as saying he wants to test out the market, whether or not the Cubs could put together an offer that would, uh, uh, convince him that maybe he didn't need to test the market and go to a team that's uh, that's a bona fide contender year in and year out. You know, maybe that might change the the dynamics of his thoughts a little bit. But uh, you're right. I mean, he's he said publicly that he wants to that he really wants to see what the uh, what the what the free market's going to offer him.
1: And the rumor is that the Yankees are going to go hard after Machado in free agency.
0: Well, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, Yankees always want to go after always want to go after a big name. Hey, can I give you guys my uh my worst Cubs series of all time? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you were talking about it. that earlier. This yeah. is going to go back before your guys' time, but this is this is when I was growing up. 1984 playoffs National League Championship Series against the San Diego Padres. Worst Cubs series of all time. Bar none. Yeah. Yeah. The,
2: reason,
0: heard this story. the biggest reason well and you know the weird thing of it is is many people probably don't know this but back then in 84 the national league championship series is best three out of five they didn't even play four out of seven back then and the cubs took the first two games in chicago
2: first two in chicago then the last three were in uh, san diego
0: yes that's right and and the cubs the cubs took both games in chicago in fact they took game one 13 to nothing and Rick Sutcliffe, who won the Cy Young that year, even jacked one for the Cubs that day. Um, Game five in San Diego, the Cubs were ahead in that game, I think 3-1 late in the game. Um, And I think it was either the seventh or eighth inning when uh, Leon Durham did did a Bill Buckner imitation, actually before Bill Buckner, and he let a ball go between his legs. He actually blamed somebody <laughs> spilling Gatorade on his glove for the reason he he biffed a grounder, but it was a two-run two error, and it, it put a guy on second, and the next guy hit a ground ball to Sandberg at second, and the ball took a weird hop and bounced over his head for a double and brought in, brought in a more run, and the Cubs ended up losing that game, and the Padres went to the World Series. Good that, Steve even all these years later, still is killing me. Really? So, it, San Diego, it, it, San Diego, or a, a a St. Louis series in May doesn't bother me near as much as missing out going to the World Series in '84, and that was the first time the Cubs had actually even been in the playoffs since they'd gone to the series in '45.
2: So that yeah, was a, it mean, was a
0: really big deal, and they I only guess, needed yeah. to win one game. One game. They only needed to win one more game to go to the World Series, and they couldn't do it. Yeah,
1: that near that was before our time. We can't relate to that that kind of. Uh, <laughs> and, <but laughs>
0: Well, for some older Cub fans, and I don't even qualify as an older Cub fan because there's a lot of fans that are a lot older than me. that they, We've been going through years of futility that uh, are they're unparalleled.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that story many times 84. I have one of those, the first game when they won 13 nothing on DVD. So I bet that was, I couldn't imagine how mad I'd be if I lived back then.
0: I was so excited when they won that first game, I thought I was going to wet myself. <laughs> Cause I just thought there was no way that I just thought there was no way they weren't going to the world series after that game. Cause Rick, Rick Sutcliffe after the Cubs had traded for him from the Dodgers, he was almost untouchable. I think, I don't remember for sure, but I think he went 16 and three for the Cubs that year and uh, won the Cy Young and he had an ERA, I think of just over two. And he just was so dominant and he came back and pitched in game five and he was cruising along all the way to that seventh inning. And when things just went haywire and and uh and it was over but that was the that was one that was one big huge moment that i thought we were going to cubs were going to break through and only to leave me crying in my handkerchief again so to be
1: <laughs> clear you did not wet yourself though
0: no i didn't i almost oh, well
1: i mean did you really have a good time if you didn't pee your pants
0: I mean, that's... <laughs> um I think, I think it's possible, but I, you know, I know there were lots of great times I had when I was a baby that I'm sure I wet myself many times, but, but that wasn't, that wasn't one of them. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll say one more well, thing. I, Cause I saw the, Oh, sure. Well, I'm you guys, sorry, you guys have a good night. And I was going to, if you do talk about, uh, if you do, I saw you, you might talk about Kerry Wood tonight in his 20 strikeout game. I was at that game and it was, it was, it was a great day to watch. Cubs we were baseball. just going to
2: talk about that. So if you want to uh tell us a little more, please do.
0: Oh, well, I don't want to I don't want to intrude too much on your guys' time, but uh um I was at that game in 98 with a couple of buddies. Um we were sitting out in the bleachers. Uh it was kind of a cloudy day and I can't remember. I think it might have rained and sprinkled some earlier in the day, but I don't think it really rained during the game. Um wasn't a great day and it wasn't a very big crowd um for the game either. But as as small a crowd as it was that day, I can say I, I it was so loud it would have seemed like it was it would seemed like there was forty thousand people there. Uh as the innings went by and back then of course we didn't have like smartphones and we were sitting out there in the bleachers trying to figure out what the what the record was for the most strikeouts in a game and nobody had any way of looking it up. We were all kind of debating about who we thought uh, who we thought had the record. But just kinda of inning after inning and we just I just kept thinking as I was watching him that at some point this magic was going to wear off but he was he was throwing the ball so well and he had he had a ball breaking hard to the outside and guys were just wailing at those and missing it every time it was it was a great day to watch and I and he was a rookie I I I don't even know if he'd started I don't know if he'd started more than a couple of games maybe so far in that year it was what his fifth career start his fifth career start. So yeah, so mm-hmm. he really didn't know a whole lot about him other than, uh, other than it, he he was striking out quite a few guys, even, uh, even before that game But that day, that day was magical. And that day with a small crowd, uh, it was as loud as, as I can remember, as I can remember Wrigley field being, it was rocking.
2: Yeah, that was a very special moment in Cubs history. We really appreciate you uh, calling in and sharing everything with us. Uh, you bet, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you have a good night. Thanks, you too. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So, yeah, why don't we talk more about that 20 strikeout game. Uh, Adam, you and I were, you know, I was four years old. I don't remember how old you were. Uh, but I was three, I'm sure you've yeah. Seen, yeah, I'm sure you've seen that game many times. I've watched it oh, yeah. a billion times on DVD.
1: Yeah, I've, I've watched all the highlights and everything. Yeah, he was just embarrassing, guys batters missing by a huge margin too bad his career kind of fizzled out the way he did way it did uh would have liked to have seen him dominate for a lot longer than that but yeah that's going to go down in Cubs history as one of the best Chicago moments ever
2: yeah and you can't really blame Kerry Wood's talent level for fizzling out it was the injuries I mean he missed the entire 1999 season Yeah, well, you
1: know, some people suggested that his mechanics might have been a bit of an issue and that he, you know, I think some people had warned of the fact that he needed to make some adjustments or that this was going to happen. And to tell you the truth, I kind of see that in Noah Syndergaard right now.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people see the same thing because he is as good as it gets when he's on and when he's healthy. But we've seen injury problems with him and pretty much the entire Mets staff, unfortunately, And one thing you go back with Kerry Wood is you can't help but wonder if he was coached a little differently, because in the 1998 season, he was hurt the last year of the – not the last year, the last month of the season. The last month of the season, he was hurt. And then when they were in the postseason, when they were down 0-2 in the NLDS with pretty much no chance to come back and win that series, Jim Riggleman brought him back and tried to force him in there I thought that that was a mistake. So, you know, you could go back and talk about history and how he was managed and whatnot. But, you know, unfortunately, talent can go to waste because of of injuries. It's really a shame because I'm such a huge fan of Kerry Wood.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're right. At this point, it does no good to speculate of what the Cubs could have done to prevent that from happening. Maybe there was nothing they could do. Really, all you can do now, all you should do now, is just appreciate the greatness, that epic baseball moment. That was that history today, that and that's going to go
2: down in history. For sure. Hey, look, we got another caller. How about that? Wow. We're so popular. Hello, you're on the air.
3: Oh, my gosh. It's real people. What's up, guys? It's uh, so there's a Goma, here. man.
1: This is Sean, am I
3: right? This is Sean. What's up guys?
1: This is this is Sean yeah, this is Sean Sears. He is also a, a fellow fan sided uh writer.
3: That I am, that I am. I i uh, figure I'd jump in on the uh the Carrier Wood love, love a little bit here, just cause, uh it's hard not to love Kid K, right?
2: Of course, oh, yeah, please
3: absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so spill, spill
1: I, the beans, man. What have you got?
3: I so I, I mean I love Carrie Wood. I think that there's there's not so many things I don't like about Kerry wood but man that year 2008 with the cubs like finally it felt like they were putting it together Kerry wood is like a closer just like very john Smoltz of a, like a of a career and i like you guys I, I was listening to you guys talk before and you said how you know if this guy could have put it together for a full season it would have been awesome but i still love Kerry wood i mean i think he's still one of my maybe not an all-time great cub in the sense of like statistics or whatnot but I mean, the guy, I mean, it's hard to find someone that doesn't love Terry Wood. And if they don't, it's for some ridiculous reason about him being injured and oh, he could have been great. But, well, you know, appreciate the person for what they are, right?
1: Yeah, and I think he had a, a pretty good attitude about it the whole time. And despite not yeah. being the, the dominant starter for a long time, like people thought he might be, he actually put together a pretty nice career coming out of the, really the bullpen did. at some point. And you got to be a it takes a uh, uh, someone who isn't uh, overly egotistical to make that transition into the bullpen. <clears throat> Looking at you, right. Matt Harvey. I'm, I'm very glad humble you...
2: man. Kerry yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That, not not so much like Mr. Harvey, who's in the the NL Central right. with the Cubs now.
2: Yeah,
3: interesting. I'm I'm excited to uh, see his locker room antics transition to Cincinnati with their garbage yeah. baseball team.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I said on Twitter that getting shipped to the Reds is a decidedly worse punishment than going back to the Miners. Because oh, uh, if, he'd have stayed with the, if he'd have stayed with the mess, he could have went down to the Miners for a little bit, figured some things out, maybe rein, reinvent himself a little bit, and then possibly right. come back up and contribute to a winning ball club that could go to the playoffs. And instead he's going to be on a Reds team now that might not even win 65 games. So good job, Matt right. Harvey.
3: You earned it. Just uh, Matt Harvey is one of those people where like I was. I mean, you don't want to see someone get hurt. You're not like cheering for injuries, but I wasn't necessarily oh, yeah. too upset when I found out he like couldn't maybe yeah. put it together like he did in 2014.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm at the point where I just I don't really feel bad for Matt Harvey anymore.
2: Nah. No, no. Sean, tell me this. I, guess. I got a question for you. Yeah, go for it. Did you remember? Were you old enough to have witnessed the 20K game by Kerry Wood?
3: I was, yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, I was six, five, five, six. I remember watching the game. I felt like I could, like, quote the entire game or anything like that, but I remember watching it and, like, at least kind of understanding why it was a big deal. I just kept asking why they kept holding the Ks out. I thought it because his name was Kerry. I didn't understand, like, <laughs> because of, like, strikeouts. I was like, oh, that's interesting. They all brought this, like, one particular sign? Oh, that's weird. But, yeah, no, I, I remember it. I don't have fond memories of it, but I remember, like, where I was and what I was doing during that moment. It was,
0: okay. I mean, it
3: was it was very surreal, but it was never like a, it's not like, like the 2003 game, like, I could tell you everything about everything with that Moist of game and the Steve Barton stuff and everything going on with that. I could tell you everything about that entire series. Um, but, like, games like that and I apparently went to, like, a Crosstown Classic when I was in, like, <laughs> uh, maybe a year after that where there was a big fight at Smitsky and they almost had to call the game. That was apparently a big deal. I was in attendance to at a game at seven years old. and don't remember that, but, you know, <laughs> I guess, you know, you pick and win. <laughs> yeah, they but, yeah. should
1: change the, the baseball terminology. They should change the, the word strikeout to carry from now on. I, I
3: like it. I mean... You know, Max,
1: Max Scherzer... Went seven innings and had 16 carries tonight. I like it.
3: I actually really like that. Let's okay. make that a thing. Yeah. <laughs> You're
2: such a dork, Adam.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> probably. No, <laughs> probably. no seriously, him, though. I like Adam. that, though.
3: That's <laughs> great, right? It's a good, good little tribute for carry. And I, honestly, I mean, like, I mean, no one else has done it. Might as well give him the give him the, the recognition, right?
0: for sure.
2: I mean, it's considered the yeah. best game ever pitched. If you look at the Bill James metrics, it is considered right. the best game ever pitched. He pitched 122 total. Uh he got eight balls that he threw put in play. That was it.
3: I mean, that's that's incredible. I, I was actually trying to explain it to my girlfriend just a couple of days ago when they were replaying that game. I think it was on Saturday after uh, after the game they played against Cardinals. Um they were showing that, I guess, that documentary they were putting together. And I was trying to, like, get her to realize, like, why it was such a big deal. She's like, oh, it wasn't a no-hitter. It wasn't a perfect game. It's like, no, it was better because, I mean, his stuff was filthy. Like he said, only eight balls in play on top of it. It was like, what, his fifth start ever? Like, that's incredible. Like, you know, there's some stuff. Like, you know, you see, like, rookies kind of have, a good first couple of games because people maybe haven't seen them. But, I mean, not only have people not seen him, they've not seen stuff move like this. You know, now we're, like, used to where guys kind of get and understand gripping pitches differently. can do different things. But, I mean, Kerry Wood, it was tough to find a more filthy pitcher than Kerry Wood in 1998.
2: Yeah, it was a very kind of rare thing that you saw because when you watched him pitch, he was being compared to, like, <laughs> Nolan Ryan and Roger Clemens. <laughs> it it went to show that those kind of dominant pitchers were just such a dime of dozen at the time.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have guys that were like very aware of command and different grips and, you know, like people were still spitting on balls and thinking it made a difference. Like, you know, like it's hard to believe, you know, it was only X amount of years ago, but I mean, so much has changed that's just like radically changed baseball and particularly like in the last like five to 10 years where we are just seeing the adaption and just normal. I mean, the norm is analytics now, you know, you're looking, you see like again right. puts an OPS stat up on like their, their stat line. Like that's never happened before, you know, like it's, just we're in a very interesting time now.
2: Absolutely. It's so true.
3: Yeah. I mean, I was just watching the, uh, the Red Sox Yankee mm-hmm. game here a little bit as I was coming in and out of work and, uh, I mean, it's just interesting, like, it's nice that baseball's adapting to this, and it's nice you have, like, a Tim Kirkton who's, like, always been very affluent in, you know, paper metrics and things like that, but it is really weird hearing, like, (laughs) like, Pedro Gomez or, like, Pedro Martinez try and talk about, like, spin rate or, like, (laughs) anything like, like, I think Pedro Gomez was talking about Babbitt and he, like, couldn't even say Babbitt, let (laughs) alone explain it, but, you know, there it is on an ESPN, you know, thing, and it's just crazy to think, like, something I've been, you know, studying forever and trying to like figure out how this applies to whatever writing or, you know, just baseball in general. is like something that ESPN's trivializing, which like is a good thing and a bad thing because I think it exposes culture and fans to understand like why batting average in play might be more important than a normal batting average or something like that, however you want to weigh that as. But it's just interesting to see that change and shift in culture. And I hope it brings more fans in and doesn't push them away as we've seen a little bit, but, you know, Regardless, for someone like me, I'm, I'm just I'm, – I'm very excited.
2: So. <laughs> yeah, man, I'm right there with you. I love that kind of stuff. So we're right. uh, just about a, out of time. Uh, Sean, thank you so much for calling in. Sean, hey, you're a no saint. Problem,
3: Thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. Good, we'll good, though. I will have to do it again for a little bit longer session next time.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Take have care, my man. of
3: carries on you guys.
2: All right, sounds Bye. good. that was sean sears always good to hear from him boy you know i wish that we could just keep going here but hard to believe that an hour has already gone by yeah time flies indeed Well, I want to thank everybody who listened for listening. I want to thank everybody who called in. It was really great talking to everyone who called in tonight. Really a lot of fun getting different perspectives from people. I encourage those people to keep calling in in the future, more people to call in. Really a lot of fun. And, of course, Adam, thanks always as being my great co-host that you are. Um, I would ask you for a hot food take, but there's just no time, so we'll save Two games and two takes for next time. Oh, man, it's going to be fire. Yeah, I'm regretting it already. So, from Adam McGinnis, this is Alex Pat. This has been Climbing the Ivy. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. We'll see you next week.
0: Bye. Bye.